Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Kristen Wiig joins Wonder Woman 2, DC announces another imprint, Kirkman sings us an Oblivion song, and the Power Rangers prepare to get shattered. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah! Ah, just on on cue, always waiting there for you. But uh, j- so just I feel like most weeks I I probably screw it up, probably or don't do it at all. Yeah, so. that also does tend to happen. Uh, but you know, most weeks we're here, and by we, I mean me, David Luzader. That's Nick Shermooksness. You're the listening audience, and this is the podcast where we talk about comic books and movies and TV shows and all that jazz having to do with superheroes. You know that real nerd stuff that you got beat up for in high school, but now we're kind of like the cool kids. I don't really understand what's happening there, but it's like life. You know, it's how it's going. It's. I feel like I've heard this before. I may have been talking to my brother about it, but it was. It was something like, um, you know, why is it that people are like watching the superhero movies, but not like then going back like, man, I really love Iron Man. Like, let me like just get a bunch of people. Like, why didn't the uh, Iron Man's comic numbers not skyrocket? Like, yeah, he's way more popular than he was in any previous decade, but certainly not to the degree that people are loving him in the movies. And I've definitely heard the argument that like. People don't associate the superhero movies with the comics. That the comics are still yeah. nerdy and stigmatized, but like it's okay if you go check out Iron Man in theaters. No, it's totally true. Um, boy, yay, more technical issues. Sorry, guys. Uh, no, it's totally true that superheroes themselves are not inherently nerdy, but it's like the comic book format. And comic books are like more ubiquitous now. You know, I mean, the graphic novel format has has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, there's like stuff like, you know, Watchmen obviously has been around forever, like mouse, you know, you have stuff that is considered sort of as different from the genre of the weekly funny books. Uh, and I think, yeah, a lot of it is like, it's this format, you know, I know a lot of people who love, who think Batman is awesome and who watched the Batman animated show and think that's so cool. Uh, probably have never once read a Batman comic in their life and don't really care to, and that's okay. But guys, you should right. be reading. You should be reading comics because that is a dying industry. And, uh, <laughs> that that is just... a very pessimistic view. It's an evolving industry, right? I should say. Well, yeah, you know, with the MCU and and the CW flareovers of tomorrow, super flareovers of tomorrow, uh, it is changing. But and then we're kind of losing. You know, we're losing a little bit of the that that week to week, that month to month charm. It'll, I mean, the, the thing with comic books, and this has kind of been my position on it now, um, or just how it's affected me in my life, is that if I'm paying for most books, like, uh-huh. you know, in rare cases now three, but usually four $4 or five dollars, yeah. especially on like bigger issues, um, I can only purchase and read so many comics in a given week. Like, it's just not financially feasible when you got to worry about everything else in your life that it's, it's just, you know, you might go see a couple of movies in theaters a month, which I don't, but some people do. Uh, and may, and even with movie tickets, they're pretty expensive these days, but still for a couple of movies, it's not a big deal. But if you want to keep up on like all the goings on of Marvel, all the goings on of DC and any other universe that's out there, like it's, it's not financially uh, sustainable. Like, do I yeah. think that they should be cheaper? It's hard to say. Like, obviously uh, a lot have, of work I mean, goes into them. Obviously we want it to be cheaper so that we can read more of them. But you know, these, these are hardworking people who've got their lives and families to, uh, you know, to sustain. And unless you're like a Grant Morrison, you know, you can't ask for the kind of money off a book that's going, you can just afford to write like one book, you know, right. They, they've, these guys have got to write multiple books in order to get by. And, right, right, right. and like artists have to, you know, artists can really only have the time to do one book and then they have to find other ways to, to make ends meet as well. Like it is a, 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 uh, industry that really stretches 
its resources to the extreme sometimes. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard because it's like, yeah, I wish that all books were two ninety nine, and I could read, you know, three more books a month. That would be great. Uh, but at the same time, not everyone feels that way. And people aren't, you know, people are just going to read the books they're going to read. And, you know, they're not going to pick up more just because they're cheaper. And so, you know, prices are going to go up. Like, I mean, look at you know, most industries, the prices of stuff goes up. Why should comic books be any different? Well, no, a hundred percent. Like they, if anything, they should be even more expensive given the amount of production that goes into even a single issue, which, and this is, you know, Pierce just speculating uh, or pontificating on my part, but it's like, should, would it be better for the industry to truly move into something where instead of a weekly grind, like you just get like a series a of maybe novel. short form graphic novels, you know, maybe three or four issues in one can yeah. um, that you pay a little bit more for. Oh. Um, so you might get less monthly Spider-Man, but you'll get, more spider-man when you get it if that makes sense right if like every few months a trade paperback came out that cost like ten dollars but you're gonna get you know four issues every single time it's i mean it definitely is a, a you could potentially get a complete story at once and i mean these are obviously there's a lot there to discuss and talk about but we don't want to take away from that uh this show we try and uh you know, get some news stories in. So why don't we hop into those? Because we could really probably go down this rabbit hole for the next 25 minutes. So here's our stories. Our top story today. <laughs> After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Oh boy, some real big news hitting this last week. And starting us off here, we learned that Kristen Wiig, SNL alum, will be playing Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. Director Patty Jenkins confirmed uh, last Friday that Kristen Wiig is set to play the villain Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. And that's really kind of all we know right now. But it is certainly, I think it's not the casting people were expecting. I don't know. We didn't even, I don't think, knew, know that Cheetah was going to be the villain in the movie. Um, this was, But Kristen Wiig was not the name that I think a lot of people would have considered. But I personally think it's a cool choice i'm very curious to see what this is gonna how this is gonna play out yeah it's um yeah like you said not it really wasn't what people are expecting and i i certainly think that there's probably a contingent of people there that think it's a stupid choice like you know she's only done comedy and blah 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 Which and she hasn't probably, for the record. right she hasn't, but also like, I think, I think this is definitely a great example of like when someone gets kind of typecast for things. Cause when people think of Kristen Wiig, they certainly think of all of her com comedic roles. Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea that she could have a range in terms of her acting skill or even pull off an, uh, an action, you know, a uh, movie, uh, I mean, it's not like as an actor, like you, I mean, it's good to like get in some choreography and like some, you know, fight training and stuff like that. But obviously there's a lot of ways that movie magic can kind of play to it. Um, so there's no reason why I think that Kristen Wiig won't be an excellent cheetah. Not that I have a great affinity for the character. She's right. like a cheetah lady. Right. And I, I bet most people who are like, Oh, she doesn't seem like probably don't know Jack about cheetah. Um, right. Like she's not, you know, she's not everybody's number one villain. That's like not a knock against the character. It's just, she's not, uh, she's not as like well known as I would say as others. And so people who are like, she doesn't look right. It's like, uh, name three cheetah stories. Like off the top of your head right now, name three times Wonder Woman has fought cheetah. I bet they can't. The, uh, yeah. Um, but, what I'll be curious about is just how cheetah will look in the movie. Uh -huh. And also as a threat to Wonder Woman that can apparently shoot like lasers and stuff out of her arms. Hey, that's pretty rad to me when people are, you know, they say, because of course, you know, Kristen Wiig, Oh, she's like not the right type of person for it. You know, I always say, remember people's reactions to Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker. Uh, every, right. yeah, like everybody thought like, Oh, this guy who did a bunch of like rom-coms and now kind of has like that clean cut, like, you know, nice boy, gay cowboy look is going to be playing the Joker. And then, of course, he became like every angsty teenager's symbol for the next hundred years. Where it's like, oh, the Joker anarchy, guys. Heath Ledger's amazing in that role. Academy right. Award winning performance, which he may not have gotten if he had not died. That's not what we're here to discuss. What I'm here to say, though, is 
internet, shut up. Don't like, and I, you know, I posted this and a group that I'm on where I'm like, I really hope people can just be like, like, oh, she's not who I would have picked, but I'm curious to see what she's going to do and not play the whole, like, she's, you know, whatever thing is not right. So she's not the right choice. And even in the comments of that, people were like, yeah, I wish they'd gotten this person. This person is a better look for it. It would be interesting to go back to a world where these decisions were made and most people didn't know they were made and we didn't have any expectations until the final product was in our hands. Well, I, I think... I think hmm? Go ahead. I was just saying, sometimes it feels like people when... And maybe I've just, as I've gotten older, like less and less feel the need to kind of like throw my opinion out there online. But certainly the people that are the most vocal and most passionate on one hand, like passion is really great. But certainly when it's a negative and sometimes news comes out that, you know, I probably is a negative thing. But it's almost like if I can just scream loud enough, then maybe it'll change the course of this decision. Like, I don't agree with Kristen Wiig being cheetah. I'm going to make sure the world knows it and and the executives are going to listen. She's going to get fired. Right. The D.C. execs are going to sit down and be like, oh, boy. Did you see what Randy Boy sixty nine boy spelled with an I posted online? He thinks Kristen. I mean, he thinks Kristen Wiig's wrong. Guys, like we gotta shoot. We gotta recast her. Like it's, it's the only option. I just I don't right. understand. Uh, I think part of it too is the platform that everybody has. Um, you know, Michael Keaton when he was cast as Batman only did Michael Keaton comedy movies in the eighties. And you can find like letters written to like publications and stuff. People saying a lot of the same sort of complaints of like, oh, he's like this comedian, Michael Keaton. Like, you know, he doesn't look like Batman, blah, 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 blah. It's just now those people can get on Twitter instead of having to write a letter uh, that'll get published and never seen by the masses. Right. And now everything's trending and so many more people can join the chorus and it just gets deafening. It's like, can, can you really like wade through these things and find anything that's truly critical or credi- uh, credible? What's credible? I don't know, you, sp- you spend a lot of time on Twitter. And I guess yeah. obviously what's credible is cause probably subjective, but yeah, no, I, I, and I will say generally the reactions I have not seen, I'm sure there are people being Jack wagons, um, Jack wagons. but I think generally people are either keeping mom or kind of cool about it because I think partially part of that is that she does not, um, you know, Cheetah is not a Lex Luthor or a Joker uh, or anything like that. A, a villain that is known by the masses in the ways those characters are. So I think a lot of people are just like, oh, oh, c- cool. Shit, Wonder Woman's going to fight a Cheetah yeah. in her sequel? And also, like, I'm just, I'm just really curious how, like, is she going to be basically mystique-ified so that she's, like, Cheetah's... Well- fur but naked is she gonna be in like a bikini or some kind of i think she most of the time has it's a woman with clothes on no cheetah's usually naked wonder woman images taken over by news stories i mean she's got clothes on in injustice too but in a a lot of her shows she's generally pretty naked yeah we'll see i bet they go with clothes yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i assuming clothes, but it would be interesting just how they... Of course, people right. have already got, done the Photoshop jobs of yep. turning Kristen Wiig into Cheetah. Yeah, we'll see how this all plays out, though. We, I mean, this news casting, uh, the news of this casting just happened, uh, which means it's going to be a long time before we see even a trailer or anything. So, speculate, speculation gets us nowhere right now. Uh, so in other news, what we can, which we don't have to speculate on is that DC announced the black label imprint, a new imprint where, um, prestigious creators can put their own stamp on DC superheroes without the confines of uh, current continuity. Um, they announced some books like Superman year one from Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Batman last night on earth from Scott Steiner and Greg Capullo, which I believe was technically already announced and it had Sean Gordon Murphy on his art. Mm -hmm. Um, and now Greg Capullo is taking over, uh, Batman damned from Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermijo, who originally worked on a Joker series or a Joker graphic novel together. Oh yes. Uh, Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez. And Wonder Woman, Diana's Daughter, which is a working title from Greg Rucka, and the uh, previously announced The Other History of the DC Universe from John Ridley are some of the uh, out-of-the-gate titles that will be coming from the Black Label imprint. Yes. David, what do you think? Uh, This is really cool. Um, I'm 
really excited for uh, these to come out. I mean, you know, these are books that just uh, would probably still have gotten released, but just, you know, been like, oh, yeah, it's DC. Then, uh, you know, but it's not like happening in continuity. It's just a DC book. So, but this is just a nice way to be like, if if these books do have a certain quality to them, that they are kind of, uh, you know, pump, uh, pumping up, uh, purporting of like this is a this is the prestigious line of of creators coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be, I mean, it'll be really cool to be like, oh, this shelf right here is my Black Label collection. Uh, I think every single one of these books, they're all mini series, um, but every single one of them sounds like something I want to read. Uh, there's definitely there's nothing here, and you know the creative teams are definitely high, highbrow not highbrow but like uh, high profile creative teams. You know every single one of these, I want it on my shelf, and I want to own. Yeah, the last night sounds so weird. Batman wakes up in a desert. He doesn't know what year it is or how the Joker's head is alive in a jar beside him. But it's the beginning of a quest unlike anything the Dark Knight has undertaken before. That's a pretty interesting jumping off point. Yeah, that one is certainly going to be interesting. And, you know, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, a, a team that you're tired of, but uh, but I think the masses still generally enjoy. Kelly Sue DeConnick on a Wonder Woman book, man. That is awesome. That That's is... pretty big. And I thought she was had, a, had been tied to potentially working on Wonder Woman in the past. So maybe this is something that's been in the works for a while. But yeah. it's interesting that she's going to be tackling... Um, Wonder Woman and, and her history and Queen Hippolyta and the Amazons. Well, it's, uh, a, it's, also just, hmm? it's actually more about Queen Hippolyta, it rise to power. So I think just the idea, like the Wonder Woman Historia idea is like it is the history of the Amazons and oh. Wonder Woman. Which I feel like DC just did a miniseries on that too. They've, I mean, they've done some stuff here. Yeah, I, they, I they touched that. on it here or there, but I know there was like a miniseries that just came out within the last year that was about... Uh, other Amazons in their history. But yeah. still, I mean, Kelly Sue DeConnick, which is a name that I swear the other day, like I was just saying, like what happened to Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick other than uh, like Bitch Planet and um, sex, criminals. sex Criminals from Images. Like it seemed like they were about to blow up with all these like op- uh, like Hollywood optional deals and stuff like that. And then nothing. So it's cool to see her back on the block. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this other history of the DC universe sounds really cool. Um, where you know it's it's a a book that's going to be looking at iconic DC moments and looking at them from the perspective of DC superheroes that uh you know that are a bit more marginalized or from groups that are a bit more marginalized. I mean you know you got John Stewart, Vixen, Supergirl, Katana, Renee Montoya, uh, just uh, among others as well. You know it's you know John Ridley known for Twelve Years a Slave. Um, I think this has the potential to be a, in the in the context of DC an important book and I'm I'm curious I'm curious to see how all of these play out and to see what future announcements you know is this is this slate going to be it are we just going to get these books and then that's it or are we going to is this going to become a, a big thing I'm honestly, both Marvel and DC have announced so many different imprints over the years that, you know, sometimes kind of bust out out of the gate with some strong stuff and then peter off. Like, in my opinion, like these will probably be some of the only books. This is me being somewhat pessimistic, but I think those will be some of the only books. And then like the the imprint just won't get touched or half these books will be super late anyway. Jeez, man. Anyone remember the DC All-Star line where careers were able to work outside of continuity to tell All right. no, their man. own stories between these characters? Here's what here's the problem with the All-Star line. Uh, Superman, All-Star Superman was too good for anybody to, to, to try and do anything like that again. And All-Star Batman and Robin was so terrible that I think nobody wanted to play in that playground at all. It was I just... have actually read all of all-star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder. You poor soul. It was interesting. Uh, it's hard to say if it was bad. It's bad in the sense. He's that, the like, goddamn Batman. Right. And how, how much has that line spent stuck in like the pop culture lexicon or whatever? Like it had an impact. Like, yeah, there was really weird decisions made and not everything was executed perfectly, but like it was probably one of the last best things Jim Lee has drawn 
uh, and is crazy as hell. Uh, I, this is weirdly me defending All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, but I'm not trying to. Maybe I have to revisit it. Either way, yeah, All-Star Superman was here's dope. Here's my question for you, Nick. In a little over a week, like a week and a half, are you going to be reading? Uh, no, actually just over a week. Uh, are you going to be reading Green Lantern, Earth One? Oh, yeah, that is coming March, out. March um, 20th. I like... Uh, uh, Gabriel Hardman's work, and uh, I believe I think that's his. They're, they're married. Uh, Karina Bechko um, is also co-writing it, or just the one writing it. Um, it sounds like a really interesting concept. I'll see how they um, they uh, play with it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I probably will check it out in a week or so. Uh cool. Yeah, I I typically have enjoyed the Earth One books. I still have not. Um, you know, I say that, and I realize there's actually a number of them I haven't read. Uh, I haven't read past the first volume, either Batman or Superman. Uh, I haven't read the Teen Titans. I, th- I, I guess think that's... Been t- I think there's been two Teen Titans have, as well. Has there been two of the Teen Titans ones? I think there's been two Teen Titans Earth those... ones and three Supermans and two three... Batmans. Those books come out so under the radar that it's kind of crazy. It, it takes way too long. Like I, and I think yeah, there was there was three Superman books. I don't think I ever read the third one. I'm really I'm I'm, I'm really glad that they exist. Like I I want to say that like I really like that as an imprint that exists and that it is still going and that you have stuff like Wonder Woman Year One coming out of it, um, and Green Lantern is getting early good uh, buzz. Um, Oh, right. just, there was a Wonder Woman Earth one. I was just thinking of that. Yeah. I was just telling someone about the other day, and I completely I think, I think that's the only one that I actually, uh, like, physically own. I have digital copies of some of the other ones. Um, I, like, I love that it's coming out. It's just so funny to me that it is so, like, these books are released, and then I, like, uh, two years later, I'm like, that came out? Well, anyway. Right. Also, so we're going to shift away from DC just a little bit to mention that Erica Henderson will be leaving Squirrel Girl and Marvel. Uh, Before people get up all up in a tizzy, uh, this is something that Erica Henderson has decided to do on her own uh, to pursue creative own work and will continue doing um, covers. And that the book, she she has assured people that the book is not ending. I mean, if you, you know, just kind of my view on it, um, and this same thing kind of happened with Greg Capullo for a bit, uh, during his time on Batman, um, that as a writer, you get to go off and you get to write a bunch of different books and, and, you know, get to do whatever, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, writers are going to be working on several different projects at once if they're hardworking and, and, you know, reliable, Artists, however, often only work on like one book. And so if you're uh, working on one book for three years, you probably want to go do something else after a while. Uh, And that seems to just entirely be the case right here. Right. No, totally respectable. I wish uh, Erica Henderson the best of luck. Squirrel Girl is one of those books that I don't think was necessarily, it certainly wasn't, I think, geared towards my demographic, even though. Yeah, same. I I gave it a um, shot. I just didn't, didn't click with me. I think I laughed a few times in the first issue and it's something that, you know, I say this, I probably never will, but like, I, I would be definitely interested in checking it out. Um, but I, you know, I'm certainly glad that the book, I think it was a book had a strong authorial vision in terms of both writing and art. And I'm glad that it's found success. Though every time I uh, check the comment section on anything involving Squirrel Girl, uh, people are always ripping on Erica Henderson's art. Like it's super ugly. And I'm like, I mean, everyone's, you know, art's subjective. Like I'm not saying her art is on par with, you know, most comic book artists that I enjoy, but it's sort of accomplishing a very specific goal um, with the subject matter. And I just, it also seems I, kind of rude to just like call the, it like super ugly. You know, the, and... the fact, the fact that uh, she has been on the book for three years through several relaunches um, says that, yeah, you're, it's one of those situations where the voices on the internet are, are the ones getting heard, but you know, Marvel is getting the sales enough to justify the book and keeping her on there. And how um, many creators stay on a book that consistently for that long these days? Yeah, it's Not very it's, rare. It's pretty rare. Um, so I know there's probably a lot of people uh, are, you know, are probably bummed about that. I mean, the cool thing is now, you know, the since the book's not over, according to Erica Henderson, but we haven't had, there hasn't been any announces about anything with a fresh start, but this could be one of the books that just continues on 
as it is. Um, but you know, you, you get new talent in there and, uh, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, for a character that's kind of become defined by one vision for three years, what's the next iteration going to look like? Right. So, yeah. I agree. Uh, and before we wrap up the news here, we can hit a couple of quick points. One is the uh, a Plastic Man miniseries has been announced by Gail Simone and Adriana Mello. Uh, this is going to be separate from his current appearances in the Terrific series, uh, which gives me a vibe that it's probably not following Plastic Man from his post-Dark Knight's Metal uh, continuity and just kind of telling a Plastic Man story, though I could be wrong about that. I think I think um, you're right. <laughs> That's the way it seems. What? I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels like like the, DC's been doing, like they did like the Ragman miniseries recently. They're doing the Etrigan series. I'm not saying, it's like they, they can take, they can be counted as continuity, but not necessarily adhering to right. there's, whatever there's is stuff, currently going. Yeah, on. there's stuff that may have happened at one point, but it's not what is happening right this moment. Right. Quote, right. unquote. So, uh, and I feel like years ago there was teased like a Gail Simone, uh, Ethan Van Siever uh, Plastic Man series that never got off the ground. So I'm wondering if some aspects of that uh, is being rolled into this. Yeah. Um, Gail Simone, Gail Simone on Twitter has just kind of been like, keeps kind of saying, like, oh, there's all this really great stuff coming up that I can't uh, announce right this moment, and uh, and this is obviously one of those things that recently got announced, and now uh, just. Doing a quick Googling of Gail Simone, I have discovered that Gail Simone and Brian Michael Bendis will guest star on Sci-Fi's Krypton. Like actual and acting roles? Oh, wait, nope, sorry. Gail Simone and Brian Michael Bendis to guest star on Sci-Fi's Krypton Fan of Steel Trivia Contest. The web the, the article was cut off before I clicked on it. Hmm. Uh, so that is a thing that is apparently happening. I was going to say, like, Brian Michael that, Bendis hasn't even released a single Superman issue yet, right, and gonna now be he's ubiquitous for the character. I mean, I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought he was just going to, like, show up in the back. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, get some of those creators in there in these. Actually, I would love that in a superhero TV show. You get, like, writers and artists to show up for, like, you know, one scene where someone's ordering a coffee or something like that. Like, yep. don't make it Ordering look- a coffee on Krypton. Uh, yeah, well, I'm thinking more like the Flash because you know Jitters is the only place that exists apparently. Uh, but you know, just like have them pop in, say like one line, and then zip off. I don't know. I they just have a gag of the Flash constantly cutting in line, and he's always like cutting in front of like a famous uh, Flash writer or artist. I'm into that. I am into that. And last but not least, um, Valiant Entertainment hires Carl Bowlers as a as a newest editor. Carl Bowlers um, is, was a former editor of Marvel, and he's also uh, worked on such titles as Sonic the Hedge, uh, Hedgehog. Uh, he had written a recent issue of Archer and Armstrong, a Valiant title, um, but now as editor, he'll be working on titles such as Exo Manowar, Bloodshot Salvation, Ninja K also known as Ninjak, uh, Quantum and Woody, and Harbinger Wars 2. Uh, Hold up. Bulls report to Valiant's editor-in-chief, Warren Simmons. Ninjak also goes by Ninja K. Well, okay, so I think I haven't been keeping up with a lot of the Valiant stuff lately, but I believe if I may be born out of the recent Ninjak series, if it's still going. Um, it, so there's Ninja... So Ninjak is he's part of like the 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 ninja something division with I think British intelligence. I'm probably butchering this, but basically they revealed that you know he is just one of many operatives under like the ninja banner, and he's Ninja Ninjak, aka Ninja K. It's like when they said that Weapon Weapon X was actually Weapon Ten, and sort of just uh-huh. expanded on that. So gotcha. It's kind of, so I think I think the Ninja K book uh, is highlighting other operatives within the Ninja series, including Ninjak. Well, cool. Uh, congratulations, Carl Bowlers. You have apparently gotten yourself into a, a company that ha- is just as wacky with everything as Marvel and DC is. So Yeah, best have, of luck. Have some fun. And let, why don't we just move on over into our reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right. We got a couple of new number ones this week coming out of Image. Some anticipated books. Nick, why don't you start us off, though, with Oblivion Song? Yeah, sure. So Oblivion Song is the newest offering from one Robert Kirkman, who has worked on a fairly I haven't, unsuccessful series. Who is series. this, Robert Kirkman? 
Yeah, he worked on this book called The Walking Dead that kind of only lasted for a few issues and then got canceled and has by no means caught on in pop culture. So, mm, right. Yeah, yeah, but he's trying again real hard with this Oblivion song. Maybe um, maybe one day something will stick. Something will really stick. Yeah, he also had like this superhero book that I guess was okay, but that just that only lasted. Um, you know, the original artist left after like issue seven. They uh, just said, you know, screw hard. it, we're going to cancel it. I think the same thing actually happened with The Walking Dead, right? Walking Dead and actually, on a serious note, Walking Dead and, and Invincible both started with different artists. Than yeah, what that's what that's what they, I mean. That's what I mean. That, like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so so what we're saying here is that Lorenzo Di Felici, that's uh, starting out on Oblivion Song, will only last for a few issues before <laughs> he leaves the book and potentially sues Robert Kirkman for creator rights uh, when Oblivion Song becomes a TV show. Things that have happened to Robert Kirkman. Because you know what happened. And, that, and to say, and I'm making a joke here, I have really no idea what went on with the legal stuff involving Tony Moore and Robert Kirkman because of The Walking Dead, so I'm not going to touch on it other than my bad joke. Uh, anyway, Oblivion Song number one. Uh, as someone that's still kind of hurting from the end of Invincible, um, I guess I needed something Robert Kirkman-esque to fill my life, uh, being that I don't really care about reading The Walking Dead. So I figured I'd give this a shot. Um, so basically, for those that aren't in the know, Oblivion Song is about um, this event that happens on Earth 10 years ago where, and I don't think it's quite clear in this issue, and I'm trying to remember from interviews I read, but like either a portion of the world went missing um, or like a portal kind of opened up and like sucked a section, um, uh, a geographical area into the portal and a bunch of people got displaced into another dimension. But at the same time, people that didn't get sucked in found a way to access it or there was a portal open or I don't know, it's, it's kind of confusing. So, so there were rescue missions that went through uh, to what eventually became called Oblivion to bring people that got trapped there back home. That started 10 years ago, and now uh, at the decade point, um, the government, the world governments or the U.S. government or whatever have basically given up uh, all hope of finding any remaining stragglers in oblivion, uh, save for one Nathan. I forget his last name, so I guess it was really good. Um, Nathan Oblivion uh, Song. <laughs> Nathan Oblivion Song, yes. Um so Nathan uh, keeps going back into oblivion because he wants to find his brother and he's, he's got some kind of guilt trip going on that's motivating him. Uh, but he's convinced that he must still be out there despite the fact that going by a lot of the art, like they're basically in some kind of mon- you know, monster ridden wasteland. Uh, and the book ends on an interesting note and I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Uh, the majority of the issue is kind of like a cold open with Nathan in oblivion, um, uh, rescuing stragglers, uh, and bringing them back, uh, and kind of touching on what the current like political and social landscape is or, um, perspective is on oblivion. Um, so a lot of it's just kind of playing with you in real time, not throwing a ton at you and just letting you live in the world. Um, which was interesting. On one hand, I felt like I wasn't getting enough, but I also felt like I didn't, wouldn't want too much about this world too soon because it's an idea that could very easily run out quickly, though Kirkman seems to think that he's got issues and issues and issues and issues of ideas. And he says that at some point, like the book is going to get turned on its head and like where you think the story is going is going to then turn and go in a different direction. So remains to be seen. But the art by Lorenzo um, is really good. The storytelling is clear. Um I feel like given it's 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 definitely an action book like yeah they'll, they'll probably be scary and gross moments because like these monsters are pretty gross looking but it's not like horror tinged it's definitely closer to invincible in terms of style I okay. guess actually if anything he kind of gives off a James Heron vibe uh, in the art which I know you have James Heron tattooed on your body like literally James Heron's face tattooed on your body so you might dig that hmm. um, I'm into it. But, uh, yeah, no, the, the overall, the book was pretty good. Um, I think it's definitely going to need a few more issues to like really get going kind of like outcast and probably even the earlier issues. I feel like Kirkman kind of puts a lot on the table and then usually, you know, a a few, you know, four or five, six issues in is when the book really takes off. I'm thinking of like, you know, Shane dying in the first few issues of the walking dead or Omni man killing the guardians of the globe. And the first few issues of invincible all spoils alert, of course, after the fact that I just spoiled them. Um, so I'm, I'm getting a vibe that with this same thing, he's going to set up this world, introduce you to a lot of interesting characters, um, and then blow the lid wide open. 
Cool. So yeah, that's what I got. All right, cool. Yeah, I uh, heard Robert Kirkman talking on the Nerdist and uh, talking about this book and all that. Um, and it's you know it's funny because Chris Hardwick and the the hype machine that he exists in that is the Walking Dead. Uh, a lot of the conversation ended up turning towards the Walking Dead, but they did spend time talking about this book, and it was uh, it's just really funny how. Um, what's what's the word how insecure robert kirkman is uh then they have like a really great moment where they start reading sections of the book uh like like dramatic readings and just his reaction mm-hmm. to everything is really funny uh, anyway i will probably mention that later during a recommendation probably but for right now i'm going to talk about power rangers number 24 this is the prelude to the shattered grid event which will bring the two current uh power ranger books uh, which I believe is Power Rangers and Go Go Power Rangers, which I have not been reading recently. But anyway, they will uh, cross over, I think, in this big event. And this uh, issue is written by Kyle Higgins, illustrated by Jonas Scarf, uh, with colors by Joanna Lafuente, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. So this issue is kind of continuing off with the current trend of things where... Uh, where the Power Rangers have been working with this woman named Grace, uh, who was briefly a Power Ranger in 1969 uh, in order to save the moon landing. Uh, and they have discovered that she has a secret, which is Lord Dracon, who is uh, an evil version of Tommy from another timeline um, that they defeated. He has He crossed over into this world, and she took him captive and has been keeping him locked up in secret at the same time rita has returned and is causing some problems that the rangers are able to to handle so most of this focuses on kind of the the lord dracon reveal that was revealed at the end of last issue and carried over into this and um and also just the struggle of the rangers for working with someone and trusting someone who they feel now is not trustworthy uh and you know you get some really interesting moments of tommy uh, not Tommy, Jason, uh, Jason kind of struggling with being a leader and feeling like he has failed in his leadership role. Uh, and of course the book ends with the setup to the, um, to the shattered grid event, which we see also from this future timeline, Saba, the talking saber, uh, came over and has kind of been helping out, but, in in a in a moment of anger, he tries to kill Lord Dracon, and Lord Dracon uses that as his chance to escape and uh, and set off whatever the Shattered Grid event is going to be. For those who don't know what Shattered Grid might refer to, the Power Rangers draw their power source from something called the Morphing Grid, and it's so odd that I feel in a in a podcast where we talk about comic books and all of the insane stuff about comic books. Uh, that I'm like, the morphing grid sounds... Like, no, it doesn't sound any more ridiculous than half of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, anyway, can, this series is still continues to be interesting. Um, I like the continued character development and, you know, stuff that we wouldn't have gotten in the kids' show. I, From my understanding, you know, they're, they're keeping it within the realm of continuity of the TV show, but at the same time, um, it's not considered canon with the TV show. So what's happening here, you know, because the, all the TV stuff actually does have a canon that has been running throughout the 20-some-odd years of the, the show running. Um, but this is not considered part of that. Uh, I think having them struggle, you know, the idea that there was a, a past ranger who feels like they failed, failed and has spent their entire life um, trying to protect the world in in their own way is really interesting, um, but of course might be a little bit you know misguided in the way that that's all handled. I think is is uh, it's handled really well. Um, I'm curious to see what this shattered grid event is going to be. You know, it says no ranger is safe, but that's so hard to trust in uh you know in a book like this you know you i don't see them killing off any of the five and if they do you just feel like they would get revived somehow i'm gonna call it now that in this event 
somebody like Billy or Trini is going to get stabbed in the chest. And then when they restore the morphing grids, like we can use the power to bring them back. And ah, there it is. Um, drama. Drama. It's cool. This book has been going on for about two years now. Um, I know it's like Boom Studios, like best selling book. Um, and good for them. I imagine it'll continue running for quite some time as long as that continues to be true. And as long as that's going on, I imagine that I will still be reading it. So Power Rangers, number 24. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to give it a, a rating since we're so far into it, but I think that the, the book is still going strong. Let's just say that. And there's your ratings, folks. Yeah, our ratings is not a pile of crap. Uh, well, swinging back around, and I was, <laughs> I almost did that terrible transition, like speaking of piles of crap, which is like not true at all for what we're about to talk about now. Gideon Falls, number one, is not a pile of crap. That's my pull quote. You can you can put that one on the trade paperback. Uh, this is the latest from Andrea Sorrentino and Jeff Lemire, uh, with colors by Dave Stewart, and it is an image book, which means that um, we're not seeing these two do a superhero book now. We're seeing instead them take on evil. Well, I say that because it's kind of hard to say what this book is about. This book is about something is going to happen. And what that something is, is reported as evil. Um, you have two characters introduced, a, a priest entering the Name small... Fred, Father Fred. Father Fred entering the small town of Gideon Falls, and I forget the other guy's name. Norton. Uh, Norton, who has a history of mental illness, it seems, um, and but spends his days... You know, he is, he's on the upswing but spends his day kind of rummaging through some garbage and believes that the garbage is sending him a message that something evil is coming. And that's kind of where this, this all sets up. Nick, what did you think of Gideon Falls number one? Wouldn't it be nice if for once in a story you think it's building to something really important and the and plot's all not. tying together? Then you find out, no, he really is just a guy rummaging through trash and truly... You know, doesn't have a handle on things. I think we'd have fun with that one time, but a lot of people would feel gypped. Like, why did I waste my time with that? Right, which is weird because definitely when I brainstorm different stories, I always kind of inevitably get drawn to like the 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 ending that no one would want, but which is probably the most realistic, which is everyone dies. Um, right, that remains to be seen uh, in Gideon. Also, someone most certainly ends up dead by the end of the issue. Oh um, yeah, someone does die, but neither of the two characters mentioned. Right, 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 right. Um, what I think of the book, it's definitely interesting. Um, I don't know how into I am as far as just like some greater evil is lurking and and presume and this is me speculating, but kind of presumably the slow burn of like the mystery of whatever quote unquote great evil they're gonna unearth in Gideon Falls, the, the, the black, black barn. barn. Uh, also, it, I took me a second when I was reading it to realize that it wasn't set in a post-apocalyptic landscape because something about the initial few pages with Norton rummaging through the trash. I just yes. thought, oh, he's this guy, you know, in like some apocalyptic dystopian city or whatever, like going through uh, wreckage. And then I realized, nope, nope, nope. It's modern it's just... day. Like everything's presumably fine. He's just going through trash. Yep. Um, so uh, as far as the artwork by Andrew Sorrentino goes, uh, it's you know very much very recognizably his style compared to previous work that I can remember from him. I don't know if it, I, I just from as far as my preferences for him, I don't know if it's his best work. I, um, but it's still a very definable look, and the story itself is told very clear. Yeah, I think some difference here is that we you know we're not seeing Andrea Sorrentino on an action book. Um, at least, you know, we don't know what action's going to be coming where, you know, Father Fred's going to be toting a, a machine gun in five issues. and Father Fred yeah. is actually ninjack. Yeah, and, and Norton is going, like, hand-to-hand -hand with a bunch of thugs. Um, but, you know, there is, like, there is something about Andrea Sorrentino's style that, that lends itself so well to these really kinetic stories where people are punching each other. And, you, know, you know, you have the highlight panels and the panels inside panels. Uh, which I definitely dig. I agree. Which yeah, which are really cool. And so to have something like this that is slower and smaller, it is different. Um, but you still have that one beautiful, so Andrea Sorrentino page. Um, 
or the spread where Norton uh, is, you know, the, the like there's the Polaroids that are like breaking down as they go across the screen. And like Norton is, you know, kind of being plagued by memories. And that just, that is so in his style. Um, right. Norton hears a who. Yeah. Yeah. Norton, you know, Norton hears a who. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would say it's, it is so far, um, it is different from what we've seen because it's a different story and you know what the, the things that Andrew Sorrentino is drawing here uh, is people and cars and buildings and more plain stuff and more plain stuff and not, you know, not Hulk monsters or crazy superpower effects and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that having an artist like Andrea Sorrentino and, you know, a writer like Jeff Lemire, who knows how to play to Sorrentino's strengths and the two know how to play off one another, depending on how these great eels go, there could be some really trippy, crazy stuff on its way. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I mean, definitely based on this first issue, more trippy stuff is coming. Uh, it might be the kind of book that I'll wait for a bunch of issues to be collected and kind of read at least the first volume in one big, you know, go just to kind of have more of the mystery given to me at once. As far as like an issue to issue goes, I'm not 100% feeling it, but certainly the work overall was really well done. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely glad that I, I checked it out because I really do enjoy these two. Um, as a team i think that they mm-hmm. you know we we talk all the time about great duos and i think that these two do have a have a really strong working relationship um so i'm glad that i checked it out i thought the font style was interesting you don't really notice fonts in comics until they're different did you notice that the font in this comic was not like your typical kind of just font? scratchy yeah which i i like everybody kind of has you know you get the Joker has his own font and you get like robots have their own font, but everybody else kind of has it. Comics in general has like the same font while talking. And, right. uh, but this, yeah, there's that really scratchy. What do you think they're, what do you think they're trying to accomplish with that? Just that it's a, a book that deals with instability. Um, mm, and the, the writing, the, the lettering itself is somewhat scratchy and, you know, not solid. So, um, I think it's just playing into the sort of the mystery and the fear and the, 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 yeah, the insecurity of all of, of it all, um, which is great. Cause I think letters are very often unsung heroes yes. in comics and, you know, I guess a good letter, you can just, you kind of glide through the book and don't realize like how much of an impact the, how the, the, uh, the text comes across really plays. Yeah. Um, no, def- definitely uh dang it i totally had a thought of, oh I, one thing i'm hoping you know this is a trope we see a lot where like there's the crazy person who's crazy but they're also right and we're kind of setting up norton to be that character mm-hmm. um so i do hope that there are some surprises as far as that and that is concerned where it's right. like oh he's got a few screws loose but he's the one who saw this all coming it's like either make it you know that he's somehow but i don't know find a way to turn on its head make it where he's like he's somehow wrong about the whole thing or like secretly he's an alien egg in his brain i don't know i just i that that's such a that's a trope that we've what seen a twist yeah we, it's a trope we've seen so many times that it's like you know you kind of got to give me a new way to play it here mm-hmm. yeah i'd agree yeah there's gotta be something that kind of flips it on his head um that makes it fresh because I, I agree. It's something that gets played up a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally thought this was going to be a post-apocalyptic book too. And that even like the cover um, makes it seem like it's like a city scape, but Gideon Falls is supposed to be like a pretty small town from the right. way. Though to be fair, said. Norton, whose face I think it is on the cover is in a city. That's true. So, but, but the book is called Gideon Falls. Right. So it all links back to the black barn in the town um but how Black it ultimately bar. plays out remains to be seen as far as the connection between norton in the city and father fred in the town yes yes hold on i have to go add this to my conspiracy web that is building on my wall creep thoughts creep thoughts oh god help us uh but yes gideon falls number one out from image comics if you are an andrea sorrentino and jeff lemire fan you probably read it and i mm-hmm. think now, why don't we go ahead and ask ourselves a very important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? 
We are indeed a pair of nerds. Nick, do you have anything to recommend? Anything at all to recommend to the dear people listening I to this podcast? I am not recommending today, but I have been working through or rereading the J. Michael Straczynski. I just saw your eyes roll, you jerk. I didn't roll them. I They definitely rolled. No or there rolling. was a glare on your glasses that made it look like you were doing it. Anyway, uh, so I've been rereading through the J. Michael Straczynski Amazing Spider-Man run that at least initially he was doing with John Romita Jr. And it is so good, um, but I'm not recommending it yet because I haven't caught up fully. So, so could, David, what are you recommending? Could be um, I'm gonna, I mentioned it earlier in the show, the Nerdist. Uh, well, oh, it's no longer the Nerdist. It is the ID10T or Idiot, uh, which is what ID10T stands for in the it world um the podcast with robert kirkman it's his fourth time on the podcast uh it's kind of it's cool because um it's chris hardwick jonah ray and robert kirkman who are all friends and have just a really good time kind of hanging out and chatting uh so it doesn't feel too interviewee you know it does get on the the trail of talking about walking dead for a while but they do talk about oblivion song and just kind of uh, Kirkman's writing in general. And if you, you know, if you're a comic person, which obviously you are here listening to this podcast, uh, you know, it's probably something you would enjoy just to get that peek behind the curtain and to hear, you know, what goes through, uh, you know, the head of somebody who is so important in comics in this day and age. Uh, So yeah, the ID10T episode featuring robert kirkman and i believe that is going to do it for us here at the show everybody thank you so much for giving us a listen you can of course head on over to the uh heck yeah comics.com i was gonna say the heck yeah comic you can head over to the heck yeah comics podcast where you currently are you can head over to heck yeah comics.com or contact us heck yeah comics at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at heck yeah comics and you can find me around the web under the username davluz that is d-a-v-l-u-z so twitter snapchat instagram you can find me there you can also find me on other shows Brookbot Mountain over on the Blazing Caribou Network and Movie Go Round podcast. And you can find Nick reading the John Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Spider-Man run. How accurate for once. Yeah. And of course you can find us here next week uh, around the same heck yeah time. Always on the same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.